Well, as we are uh, continuing on our journey uh, with uh, transformation and how we grow, tonight we'll be on how we grow, part five, internal transformation. And so let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together in His Word, and uh, we'll continue here tonight. Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, we come to you again just, uh, Lord, asking for your blessing on our time tonight, God. Uh, Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see, Lord, that you give us ears to hear. Uh, and uh, Lord, I pray that you'll just uh, show us, Lord, what you want us to see tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we talk about uh, how we grow, part five, uh, we're on the, uh, you know, talking about how God grows us. And, you know, the easiest uh, way to equate that spiritually would be uh, how we expect to grow physically. And so we talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, about how when babies are born, there's an expectation or a process by which they grow. And there's, you know, certain months that they get shots. And there's certain months that they, uh, there are certain measurements or accolades uh, that they should surpass. And the same is to be said about your spiritual walk with the Lord, that there should be uh, mile markers. I often uh, used to say a lot that there are spiritual mile markers in your life to show that God is working in your life to grow you and that you can see uh, how God is changing you. And, and change always starts from the inside. And so tonight as we talk about internal transformation, uh, we're going to talk about how the change is enacted inside of us and then we're uh, hopefully going to take away some practical pieces of what that looks like for you and for me. And so when we leave tonight, there'll be some things that we can say, okay, so as part of my internal transformation, there's a role that I play and there's things that I should do and participate in uh, that, will, uh, you know, that will enable that or that will be a part of what God is doing internally in my life. And so the first thing that we see here is uh, on your handout, that spiritual formation is a matter of being conformed to the image of Christ from the inside out, and it is not a matter of external activity alone. And so, uh, you know, how, of course, we could give many examples of that, but, you know, the Lord's always gracious in uh, how He coincides uh, messages. And look at what happened this morning. And look at what happened last week, Sunday morning. And look at the scripture, uh, the text that we've been studying on Sunday morning. It's been what? John 3, Nicodemus. And what was it? it was, there was the religious man who had all the external um, appearances of a relationship with Christ, an external activity, if you will, uh, agenda that he had accomplished quite a few things in his life, but yet the spiritual formation had not taken root in his life because he was not being conformed to the image of Christ he was being conformed, Nicodemus was being conformed to the image of the culture that had set the expectations for him. And so when we talk about spiritual formation, spiritual formation has absolutely nothing to do with the context in which you find yourself as far as your internal growth is concerned. Or in other words, if you've got someone that's in the villages of Jacare, internal transformation or the spiritual formation of their life, so in the, in the villages and the jungles of Brazil, God is going to grow them in the same way that He grows us. And so, you know, spiritual formation always begins uh, internally. It is through the confirmation or the conforming of us to be in the image of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, 29, which this is not on your paper. Uh, there was a lot of verses I want to put on here, so if you have a, a, on your pen, write a couple of these down as well. Uh, but Romans eight twenty nine says that uh, those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
And so we know that God's intention is that we look like Jesus, so much to the fact that God sent Jesus to give us that example. And so this is an internal change uh, that will take place. The Bible says on your handout uh, is written, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, that so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Well, amen, right? And so the external shell of what you see and the aches and pains and the ailments and all the things that come with that uh, is wasting away, as Paul writes here. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, uh, Pastor Tony preached a series on Sunday night. One of the messages that he preached was how God is redeeming everything and how things are, are coming to the place of where uh, God originally intended for them to be. And so as our hearts, which spiritually is, is the message that he was giving, is that spiritually God is redeeming things back to the way that he intended them to be. That's all the process of him rescuing you and I uh, from sin and from ourselves to make us or to shape us and who He created us to be. And so this internal renewal begins to shape your intentions and your desires as you seek to follow Christ. It shapes your intentions and your desires as you seek to follow Christ. We were, uh, I was talking this week with uh, some people, and we were talking about you know, how God changes us and the motivations of our heart. And, and so one of the questions I posed was, you know, in your life, what, what is your greatest desire? Is it your greatest desire that you please the Lord Jesus? And so as we talk about these internal intentions and desires, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, what happens is the things that you desire and the places that you want to go and the things that you want to do, uh, those things begin to change, which is your next blank, is that you begin to have a desire for the people of God, the places of God, and the things of God. I can remember many, many years ago uh, when I... uh, made a decision to follow Christ back in 1998. Uh, I can remember the pastor made that comment. He said that when you get saved, you will begin to desire the things of God, the people of God, and the places of God. And that's always stuck with me. To, to, uh, you know, that runs through my mind oftentimes when I hear about people getting saved and God changing people, is that you began to want the, the things that are different than you used to. I mean, think about your own life. You know, Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the way of the Lord, and He will give you what? The desires of your heart. And so as you delight yourself in Jesus, and as He begins to take over your life, as you begin to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, what happens is He begins to change the things that you like. And so the places that you used to go, well, you probably don't go there anymore. And the things that you used to do, well, you don't do those things anymore. And the people that you used to hang around with, well, if they're not trekking with God, well, then you don't, do, you don't hang around with those people. There's many people in the room right now that are shaking their head yes, because that's the way it works internally in our lives as God begins to change us. And so if you were to ask yourself the question, well, why is that happening? Well, every, if we gave an external answer, then every one of us would probably give a different answer. But if we attributed it to the cause, which is Jesus' internal transformation of our heart, if you're in a D group, you just memorize Ezekiel chapter 36, right? And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And so that's what the, the answer is. Well, why does that happen? It's because God changes the desires of your heart. And so this internal change changes your intentions. It, uh, it changes your desires. And so this regenerated heart desires to please God and to act upon His desires. 
So you've been regenerated. You know, uh, John chapter 3 says that you've been born again or uh, born from above. And so what God does is He changes the, uh, the internal or the spiritual DNA of your heart. Now, that's something that only God can do. There's no way that, you know, you can make yourself the, the internal change. It's often coined as behavioral modification. You, you cannot keep up the charade of behavioral modification uh, for a long period of time, that eventually that house of cards will crumble and the reality of who you are will come forth. Again, that's exactly what happened with Nicodemus. And so a regenerated heart desires to please God. And that desire is something that is uh, continual. That, that is not an, uh, just a momentary desire, but that's something that God continues to uh, grow and to change in your heart. Now, uh, you know, when you think about that, it's not necessarily something in your life uh, that comes natural to your heart, because the heart's intent is to satisfy its own desires. You know, left to itself, you, you can't trust your heart. Emotions will change your heart, will lead you to places that aren't necessarily the places that you need to go. Jeremiah wrote in uh, chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so if we begin to lean on our own understanding and we begin to lean on our own desires, well, our heart will lead us places that we don't need to go. And so what we have to do is we have to allow the Spirit of God to transform our heart, to change our heart from the inside, because it is certainly something that God Himself does. Well, how does that happen? Well, your heart has to come under the Lordship of Christ. There has to, there has to come a moment which, you know, this is salvation, uh, is what you would say if you gave it a name, this, if you coined a moment in time to where this happens, well, that is salvation. It is the moment where you say everything, you say, God, everything I know about myself, I'm surrendering to you. So, God, whatever it is that my future looks like, it has nothing to do with what I want it to look like, but everything with what you want it to look like. That's what lordship is, is you're making him the boss, the master of your life. And so, when someone comes down or someone pray, you know, prays in, in a parking lot or, or or in a bedroom, or in a living room, or at an altar, wherever it may be, wherever they come in contact with the Spirit of God and asking for forgiveness and receiving the Spirit of God, what happens in their life is that they say, God, I'm making you Lord of my life. I am no longer the, the boss. I'm no longer the master. My desires are secondary. They're submissive to your Lordship. And so whatever it is that your Word says, that's what I'll do. And so your heart has to come under the Lordship of Christ. So you have to come to a point that you say, I'm going to make my desires and my intentions second to what God says. That's what lordship is. And so this is not a passive process, but it requires tools and structure and discipline. And so, you know, when you, when you make a decision to follow Christ, so if that was 50 years ago or if that was, you know, four or five hours ago, Tim, whatever that may have been in your life, you, you say, Lord, I'm submitting to you. And then you began the process, uh, you began to follow Jesus as He begins to process that change in your life. And so there's tools, there's disciplines, there's structure that has to be present in your life as God begins to change you. Now, this is not a uh, process that is very short. As a matter of fact, it is a lifelong process. It is a lifelong process that includes all the events and circumstances of your life that God uses to shape you and to form you. Now, 
Uh, I was preaching at a church uh, <clears throat> a while back, and uh, so there was some people that went to the church, and, and they made comment that their, uh, their family member no longer came to church. And so I said, uh, well, okay, well, why not? Oh, well, you know, they've, they've been involved in church for a long time, and they've done their time, and, and they've served, and so, you know, now it's time for somebody else to do that. So I'm thinking to myself, what? That is not in the Bible. And so, but, but that's the mentality is that, you know, sometimes people think, well, when I get saved, I'm instantly going to be perfect. I remember I was at a church uh, many, many years ago, and uh, this, there was a new family that came, and I think I've even shared this story before, but he came and said, hey, uh, I was a student pastor at the time, and uh, he said, we've got kids, and I'm good. I'm okay. I've been saved, so that's taken care of, but I want to make sure my kids are okay. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that, that is not fellowship. And so salvation is the beginning. It is not the end. It is not the climax of your life. It is the beginning of your life to where God begins to do more and more in your life through transformation of your heart. And so it is a lifelong process. So if you've been uh, saved 50 years and God has been working in your life for 50 years, well, praise the Lord. There is still more left for him to do. We are being changed day by day by day. So it's not something that you think, well, okay, well, in the next six months, if I can just, you know, participate for six months, that's not, that's not what that, that's not discipleship. Fellowship is something that lasts all the way to the end of your life. I served with the pastor uh, several years ago and, uh, and he uh, saw a picture today uh, he's in his late 80s. He's in a nursing home. He's in poor health. But today, uh, he was, the, the picture was him sitting on a stool with a lectern in front of him, and he was preaching the gospel at the nursing home. And I thought, praise the Lord. Here, here's my brother still serving the Lord. And so wherever you may find yourself, you're still engaged in this discipleship process the, in, the entirety of your life. And so it's a lifelong process. But we must be careful now not to fall prey to the gospel of progress. We must not fall prey to the gospel of progress. So in other words, the, the transformation that takes place in your life is the exact transformation that will take place in my life. In other words, the Spirit of God will work internally in my heart just like He will work internally in your heart. But our progress will probably not be the same. Pastor Tony's mentioned this several times. You know, why were there people in his journey of faith over the last 20 years that were way ahead of him uh, at the beginning, and now he's, you know, at a different point than they are now? It's the same thing in my life. Why were there people that led me, and then now, you know, there's those people uh, that, you know, maybe I'm getting the opportunity to lead. Well, it's because, uh, you know, the, God works and He changes. And so, our, you know, different people's hearts are receptive uh, at different moments. And God uses different circumstances. And so, we must not look to one person and say, well, because Pastor Rod is at this point at X years, that's where I should be. Well, no, that, that's, that's not true. The gospel of progress will tell you that, well, I've got, to, I've got to be at a certain point here, and I've got to be at a certain point here, and if I don't continue to move quickly, well, then God's just not working in my life. Well, that's not the case, because each one of us are different as God begins to shape and mold our lives. And, and you know, you may, and I know in starting point, you, you talk about this, uh, Pastor Tony goes through how, uh, you know, it's not linear that, you know, you're not going to just shoot up like a rocket. And so we, we must be very careful to understand that it is a lifelong process, that it's not something that will happen instantaneously, because impatience is the most accepted sin in our culture today. 
is that we think, okay, well, if I get saved, well, instantly all my desires that are sinful will go away, and all the things that are wrong, that'll, you know, pe- now people are going to love me unconditionally, and people are going to treat me uh, the way that they're supposed to treat me, and I'm never going to have any disagreement. Well, that's not true. And so, you know, again, due to the gospel of progress is what we think, well, if I'm not just continually trekking along and all these great things began to happen in my life instantly, well, then something must be wrong. Well, we have to be careful not to be impatient with that because, remember, our timing is not God's timing. I think about the verse that says a day is a thousand years to him and a thousand years is a day. And so the question says, well, uh, well, you know, in the, in the New Testament, you know, the, the gospel writers were, I mean, they were writing like they expected Jesus to show up tomorrow. Well, if you think about that, it's been two days since Jesus rose into heaven, all right? I mean, so, I mean, if you think about it in the context of what Scripture teaches us, it's not been very long for Jesus. And so when we talk about impatience, don't set your timetable based on where you think you should be. Set your timetable based on where God wants you to be. And so just resolve to know Jesus and Him crucified, amen? And then ever how God wants to work that out in your life, then He will. And so we must be careful not to fall prey uh, or to be impatient with that because it is a very, it can be a slow work. So it can't be hurried. You can't microwave spiritual growth. But it is an urgent work. Because there are, there are people, the Bible says that the fields are wide unto harvest and the laborers are few. And so God is, is training up people to, to step into places of leadership like my pastor friend who's in his late 80s who can no longer physically serve in a, in a church. That There's churches that need pastors and there's, there's fields that need missionaries and there's churches that need Sunday school teachers and there's, there's workplaces that need missionaries to stand up for the gospel. And so the gospel of growth in your life, the spiritual growth that takes place, it can't be something that we race ahead and we speed ahead with, but it is an urgent work, so we can't delay it. So we've got to always be engaged in that process of change that God begins to enact in our life. And so in the kingdom, patience and urgency, they are yoked together. God is very patient, but He's also very urgent. And so where does it start? So as we talk about this internal transformation, my intent tonight is that we have some, some real meat that we can chew on, that we can say, okay, here's some tangible things uh, that, that we can take home or we can take away uh, from our time tonight. And so where does it start? Well, transformation begins in your mind. Transfer, transformation begins in your mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the transformation begins with the renewal of your mind. A renewed mind is concerned with those issues of life that are lasting and important. So you think upon the things that have eternal significance. I've said this before, but one of the things that helps me in situations both good and bad is that this too shall pass. And so when we, when we have a renewed mind, we begin to see things from an eternal perspective. And when we see things through an eternal perspective, some little blip on the radar really doesn't have much significance in our life. A, a word or a comment that maybe is off color or off base in our direction, well, that, that may not make as big of a deal to us when we see things through an eternal lens. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, and this is not on your paper, but you should write it down. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so when I hear negativity in my life and I hear people make comments or try to draw me into those types of conversations, my mind goes to whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, whatever is commendable, think on these things. Because if I start trekking down a negative path, then I'm, what I'm doing is I'm putting a screeching halt. I'm, I'm pulling the train brakes on spiritual growth. And so I've got, to, I've got to focus on those things in which are pure, which are lovely, which are of good report. Uh, 2 Corinthians talks about taking every thought captive. Those are in, intentional commands that uh, Paul is giving here is that I should think on the things that are pure, that are of good report. I should take every thought captive. And so when you become a, a believer, when you become a follower of Jesus, does that mean that your mind is instantly closed to any external sinful influence? No, of course not. Because I don't control, like for instance, I don't control uh, what other people say. And so if someone says something negative or you know, if I'm around an unbeliever uh, who says something they shouldn't, I don't control what they say. And so I can remove myself from that situation, but that thought is in my mind. If I hear that, that thought is in my mind. And so I've got to be intentional about what? I've got to be intentional about taking that thought to the Lord and saying, is this from God or is this not from God? And so I filter it through the Spirit of God, and if it's not from the Lord, then I do away with it. I take that thought captive, and I replace that thought with something that's pure, something that's lovely. I remind myself when there are situations that I can't control, I remind myself of who can control those situations. When there's something that happens in my life that is bad, I remind myself of who is good. And so in your life, what you've got to do is you've got to have, and this has been said before, but you've got to have those, the, that ammunition in your heart. That's why the Bible says, uh, your word I've hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. I may not sin against you. And so that moment to which God recalls all of those verses in your heart, that is ammunition against yourself, against your own mind. Because left to ourselves, what we're going to do is dig a hole and bury ourselves because it, woe is me, the world is over. But thank God in our situations that there's someone who supersedes circumstances. And so you've got to remind yourself in your mind that there is a God who loves me, that there is a God who's sovereign, and in spite of my circumstances, I can be reminded that God has bigger plans for me than what I presently can see. And so you've got to take these thoughts captive in your mind. You've got to focus on that which is good, that which is pure. Uh, shared with the students here uh, a while back about how your mind can only, uh, um, what's the word, entertain one thought at a time. And so if you've got this negative thought in your mind, well, you can't say, well, I'm going to add this positive thought, and then they're going to fight it out, and hopefully the positive thought will win. Well, no, you've got to replace that thought uh, that negative thought with a positive thought, or you will never let go of that negative thought. That's the psychology of your mind. And so the mind that is renewed will enable us to discern the will of God. Now, apart from the Spirit of God, I can't know the will of God. And so I've got the Spirit of God inside of me that's transforming me, 
And so just like Paul talks about uh, in Romans uh, 7, he talks about the spirit and the flesh and how the spirit and the flesh are always at war. And so if I'm, if I'm uh, catering to the spirit, then I'm going to be able to hear the spirit of God. But if I'm catering to the flesh, which we'll get to in a second, then the flesh is going to try to win out. And so I'm not going to be able to discern the will of God because there's a barrier between me and God. Doesn't James 4, 8 say, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you? And so in our lives, we've got to draw close to the Lord by removing those barriers in our life, in our mind. And so, you know, one of the things I used to tell students in student ministry is garbage in, garbage out. So if you let garbage in your mind, garbage is going to come out of your mind. But if you let uh, Christian things, spiritual things, godly things, the Word of God, the, the things of God, the places of God, the people of God inflow into your mind, well, those things are going to come out of your mind. And so in our, in our life, in order for us to discern the will of God, we've got to have a clear mind. We've got to have the ability to hear the things in which God is saying to our hearts and to our minds. And so released from the control of the world around us because of us taking those thoughts captive, uh, we can come to know what is the mind of God for us. And so we will find when we uh, discern the will of God that God's will for us is good. It is acceptable, as Romans 12, 2 says, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. You see, as the latter part of 12, 2, uh, the will of God is good because it brings about our moral and our our spiritual growth. Apart from the Word of God, we don't know what good is. I mean, look at the world today. Turn on CNN or turn on Fox News or whatever other station that is on there, and they they give you all these things that are happening, and they say, this is a really good thing that they're passing this law. You know, like, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, they passed uh, some silly laws last year. And they said, hey, this is great for our country. Who says who? The Word of God doesn't say that. And so the barometer for what's good is not what I think is good. It's what God thinks is good. And so it's good because it brings about my moral growth to know what is good, but it also brings about my spiritual growth. It brings my life, my heart, and my desires in line with the heart and the desires of God. And so it's good because it brings about our growth. It is also acceptable uh, to God because it is an expression of His nature. The will of God is the expression of His nature. That's what He intends to accomplish, that He will accomplish in your life and in my life. And so it's acceptable to Him because that's who He is. And then lastly, it is perfect. It is perfect in that no one could possibly improve on what God desires to happen. So that's the good thing to know at the onset, right? Is that, well, you know, there's no way that I'm going to come up with a better plan than God's. So I'm just going to give in to your plan, God. I'm going to surrender to your plan. Remember earlier we said, Lordship, you are the boss. You are the master. I'm not going to try to improve on what you already have going on. I'm just going to join what you're doing. That's what Henry Blackaby says, right? Find out where God's working and go join him. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to do it a new way. Just say, God, wherever it is that you're working and whatever it is that you're doing, I want to be a part of that. And so it's the good, it's the acceptable, it's the perfect will of God. And so from the mind, the heart gathers instructions. When we begin to think on things and we ponder on things, then our heart begins to gain traction with that. And so the heart gathers instructions from the mind. Now, of course, the heart is the innermost center of the natural condition of man. So it's what, it's what drives what we do. It's, 
it's the, the passion center or the, the desire uh, control panel of your life. And so your heart is what drives your passions and it, it's what drives your desires. It's the natural, the most natural condition of who you are. And so as we talk about spiritual formation, uh, spiritual formation then is the development of what? It's the development of a heart for God. So remember, God begins to change your desires. He begins to change the, the things that you desire, the places that you desire, the things, uh, the people that you desire. And so th- as that begins to happen, you develop a heart for God. You develop, your, your heart begins to change and to grow uh, into Christ's likeness. And so you begin to love those things in which God loves, and you begin to pursue those things in which God pursues. And that's all a part of God forming us and God changing us. And so uh, it starts in the mind. And so we begin to think about those things. We begin to ponder on those things. We begin to marinate, if you will, on the Word of God. And as the Word of God trickles into our heart, we begin to love the things of God. Uh, God changes our heart. He gives us a new heart. And so we begin to desire the things of God. We develop uh, a heart for uh, the things of God as God radically changes uh, us. And so this transformation is not a change from without, just again to reiterate, but it is a radical reorientation that begins deep within the human heart. I have a friend that was a professional. Uh, you know, he had a job, a great job, and, uh, you know, they had all the American things. And uh, so about 2008 or so, uh, we were good. We are good friends. We're good friends. And uh, he said, he came to me one day, came to my office, and we were talking. And he said, you know, I think, I think I'm quitting. I think I'm just going to let it all ride. I'm, I'm out. And uh, I said, uh, okay, well, what are you going to do? And he said, you know, I think God's calling me to the mission field. I said, man, that's exciting. Well, where are you going to go? And he says, well, there's this little country in northern Africa, and I don't, I don't know why, but God's just calling me to go there. And uh, he said, and the funny thing is, I, I can't even say this word, Matt, but that's where God wants me to go, the name of the country. And he said, that's where God wants me to go. And I said, uh, well, hey, man, uh, that's awesome. You should go. And he said, well, let me, let me share a cool story with you. <clears throat> so he, he'd been praying about, you know, what God wanted him to do and how he should respond to that. And again, he can't even pronounce the name of the country, which, by the way, is Burkina Faso. And, uh, and so I think, Rod, you've been there, right? And so he, he said, you know, I can't even pronounce this place, but I just, I just really feel like God wants me to go there. And so I was really, this is him talking, he said, I was really nervous to sit down with my wife, uh, Christy, and to explain to her that God wants us to move our family, they have young, had young kids at the time, to northern Africa. And so he said, so I, uh, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. If that's what you want me to do, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to tell Christy that's what you want us to do, and we're going to do it. And so... Mike sat down with Christy, and he said, I think God wants us to be missionaries. And she didn't say anything. And he said, I think he wants us to go to Burkina Faso, Africa. And she, he said that she started crying. And he said, and I was thinking, oh, no, this is worse than I thought. And uh, he said that she said, Mike, you're not going to believe this, but I was teaching a, a geography lesson today at uh, school, and Burkina Faso, Africa was one of the places that we were talking about. And so for some reason on the map, God had used, she was, she was a school teacher. And uh, she since uh, obviously resigned. They moved. They live over there now. And, uh, and so God begins to reorient the internal, the deepest parts of your heart. And you do things that you would never imagine that you would do. 
I mean, Mike is the best salesman I've ever met. But he's selling the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel before. And so God changes. He reorients everything that is inside of us. And if you were to look at Mike and say, you know, you're going to do this or this is going to or God's, this is how it's, you would never dream those things. Who would have picked that place? I remember the first time they went over there for like a checkout meeting. And so they took one of their young kids over there. And again, you know, Rod, you can probably relate to this. So they're over there. One of their kids uh, fell off the bunk bed and cut their arm pretty bad. And so, you know, they're talking to the locals there. And so they're like, you know, no problem, no problem. So they took him outside. Was, uh, they took him outside, got some dirt, rubbed it in the, in the wound really good. And then they like put this cover over it. Mike was like, what are y'all doing? And so Mike said, he began to think, you know, my child's going to die right here in this, you know, in this hut that they were in because of some lack of medical uh, attention that he so desperately needs. And nothing happened. Because why? Because think about the mission work that happens here. And this, I'm, I'm chasing rabbits for a second. But think about the mission work. When God reorients your heart and God changes your heart, then he protects you. He, he goes with you. He goes before you. He does those things which need to be done. Because why? Because God knew in Burkina Faso, uh, Burkina Faso, Africa, there were kids who needed to see the Jesus film that needed to be introduced to the, uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he knew that a little scratch from the devil wasn't going to keep Mike from doing that. And it's the same for you, you know, whether it's money or if it's whatever it may be that you say, well, there's no way that God could get me that place. Well, I beg to differ because when he changes your heart, he'll move heaven and earth to get you to where he wants you to go. So having said that, there's a bus out front. We're all going to Gulfport Regional and we'll be going to Brazil this afternoon. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? And so in your own heart, God reorients you. He changes you from within. And so when he does that, it is, it is something that is not a change that is external, but it is something that God does internally. So the Bible says in uh, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And I underline this for you having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So God changes your heart. He changes my heart to know what it is that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you. So this internal change is often referred to as transformation. It's where God transforms you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, and again I underline, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so after, notice the uh, events here. After it says, beholding the glory of the Lord... You're being transformed. I'm being transformed. And so this word used to describe this transformation, which is the word, uh, our English word, metamorphosis. I spelled it for you there. Is the same word used to describe the change that takes place as a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Now, isn't that a phenomenon? How in the world does that happen? How does a caterpillar uh, turn into a butterfly? 
Well, it's the same way that God transformed someone who was addicted or someone that was far from God or someone like me who was just a dirty, rotten sinner and was confronted with the reality of my own sin. You know, Nicodemus says, we perceive that you're a good prophet. And Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, you, individual, singular pronoun, you need to be born again. And that's what happened in my life in 1998 is I understood that, hey, we're all terrible and we're all bad and we're all doing bad things. And God said, no, Matt, you are a sinner. And I had the reality of my own sin and my own life to where I was confronted with that. And I realized after uh, beholding the glory of the Lord that I had to give in to the glory of the Lord, that God would transform me because of who I was incapable of being that God could make me into that person. And so transformation or the metamorphosis, the transformation of what God does in our life is the same thing as a butterfly is, is changed from the caterpillar. And so change is the number one way salvation from above is exhibited. We've been talking about this a lot uh, with Nicodemus here recently. And you say, well, how do I know that God's working in my life? How do I know that Jesus is my Lord? Change. I'm not who I used to be. Old things are pass away. All things become new. Change is the number one way that salvation from above is exhibited. So we want to talk about Nicodemus. We'll get to it later on. But in, I think, chapter 7, Nicodemus is uh, found defending Jesus. And then what do we find at the burial of Jesus? Nicodemus shows up, and he shows up with enough spices to, to bury royalty, right? Because change took place in his life. And that change, that, that change was the exhibition of what God had done. He had a confrontation with himself. And God, through Jesus, revealed to him who he really is, and he revealed to him who Jesus is, and he changed. And so this transformation is the work of the Spirit of God to conform the believer to the image of Jesus Christ. Thank God that he didn't just send the Scriptures and say, good luck, fellas. But what he said is, here's the Scriptures and here's the manifestation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. His name is Jesus. He is the incarnation of the Word of God that you and I might know what the Word of God is supposed to look like in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so thank God that He gave us Jesus so that we can know exactly what the Word is supposed to be. And so this transformation uh, for us, this, this conforming into the image of who Jesus is, is the work of the Spirit of God. It is the internal part of the sanctification process as God begins to change our DNA. So God sanctifies us. Justification is our salvation. Sanctification is God changing us transforming us into the image of His Son. And so, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, whereby our inner being is being progressively changed, and so God is changing us, freeing us more and more from sinful traits. Remember, justification frees us from the penalty of sin. Sanctification frees us from the power of sin. And so we're being freed more and more from sinful traits and developing within us over time the virtues of Christ-like character. And so God is changing us through sanctification. 
He's molding us. He's shaping us. I'm not who I once was, right? Don't we sing that? And so through sanctification, this process is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It involves our wholehearted response in obedience and the regular use of the spiritual disciplines that are instruments of sanctification. So God does all the work. If you, if you look up the word, uh, this morning it was referenced, 1 John 5, 3, I believe was the reference, uh, talking about being born. Of course, uh, uh, in John, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born. It was mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tony said, what part did you play in your own birth? And the answer is nothing. And so as we talk about this internal change that takes place it's not something you get at Walmart. It's not something you can do your own. You can't conjure up this internal change. It's something that God does. We've said many times tonight is the work of the Spirit of God. So in response to that is our obedience. So it's not through osmosis that we are sanctified. It's not through sitting on a pew that we're sanctified, but it is through obedience of applying what we know to be the Word of God in our own heart and in our own life. And so there is a part that you and I play. So I want to talk about two things as we get towards the end tonight. I want to talk about the obstacles that prevent us from doing that and the tools that will allow us to do that. And so in uh, Galatians 5, 16, it says, I say, uh, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is Paul talking. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Now, every one of us, for context tonight, possess flesh, right? So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So there's this back and forth war. For these are opposed to each other. And so your Spirit is trying to transform your flesh, and your flesh is trying to war against your Spirit, uh, against God's Spirit inside of you, and so to keep you from doing the things that you want to do, which is why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I do not do. You've read that before, right? And so it is obvious that the flesh is fallen. Okay, so we can all agree with that. The flesh is fallen, and the human body, of course, is a part of that fall, since the body decays and dies. So we know that, you know, uh, Adam and Eve were created to live forever, sin entered the garden. Uh, God limited their life. Uh, you know, we know that as reading through Genesis. And so because of the fall, uh, the body will decay. And the, what does Romans chapter 6 say? The wages of sin is what? Death. And so death comes because of that. The payment for sin is death. So the body decays and dies. However, so, you know, if we just read that, then we say, well, goodbye body, that's it. You're, good, you're no good. Well, the body's not all that bad. It is the resource to deliver the life of Christ to others. Okay? So when we talked about, uh, when we went through unseen, the, Pastor Tony said what? He said if God chose to, he could write the gospel on the forehead of every human alive. He could do that, but he doesn't. He chooses to use humans who possess a body 
to take the gospel. And so uh, in just a, a few days, uh, several people will get on airplanes going to Vancouver and Dominican Republic. On the 18th, the team will go to Brazil. My brother is currently in the Dominican Republic with his family. So there's people that God takes their body. I'm stating obvious things here. He takes their body, and he, in, with that body, he takes the gospel to other places. And so the body's not all that bad. So it's a resource that God uses to deliver uh, the gospel. And so left to itself... The body is a tool of the fallen nature. And so the body can be used to do terrible things, sinful things. It's a tool of the fallen nature, and it is a source of sin. Turn on TV, and you'll believe me. So the body is a tool, so it can be used... uh, It can be a resource, but it can also be used uh, as as the flesh, as Paul wrote in Romans, uh, to war against the Spirit. And so the body can be a servant, or it can be a slave. So you can be a slave to the desires of your flesh. You know, Paul said the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. You can be a slave to those things. Or you uh, you can use the body as a resource for the glory of God. You see, when we become the body's slave, it's when we trust in it rather than trusting in God. Now, on your paper in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, the Bible says this, But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so there's, there's value in disciplines. There's value in bringing the flesh under the lordship, under the submission of Jesus Christ. And so the human body that is controlled and trained by the Spirit of God is our primary tool to deliver the reality of Christ to the world. So the the human body that is controlled and trained by the Spirit of God, that's the primary tool that God dispenses the gospel. Now, I want to make a distinction between a couple of things. Last week or week before, uh, we talked about effort versus earning. You remember that? And that there's a difference in putting forth an effort in your sanctification versus you doing it with the intent of earning merit from God. Well, there's also a difference between training and trying. There's also a big difference between training and trying. Think about, think about the context in which you would use those words. If you're training for something, you're preparing, right? You know, in the future, there'll be something to which you're preparing for, and so you're training. And there's not immediate results in training. Everybody knows that I'm training for a marathon or I'm training for an event or whatever it may be. And so in training, it, it indicates or it signifies that there is a future event that'll take place, but there's a process by which I'm following. That's what training means, whereas trying is a lot shorter term, okay? And so, you know, trying is, uh, you know, you doing something fast. It's, you know, it's standing out in the rain, uh, you know, back when cars actually used keys, and it's pouring rain, and you're trying to find the right key to open your door handle, and someone says, would you hurry up and let me in? And you say, I'm training to open this door. No, of course not. You say, I'm trying. It's immediate, or the expectation is that it's immediate. It's within your own power. Now, when you try, you typically are doing it yourself, right? 
But when you train, a lot of times, most of the time, you have outside influences. You have a trainer, or you have someone who you're trying to, uh, to emulate or to, to be like. And so there's training versus trying. And so trying communicates effort that is in a hurry. It has a deadline. It's, it's very short term. And so, again, discipleship, inner transformation, internal transformation is a lifelong process. So trying communicates effort that's in a hurry. Whereas training indicates a process, and it leaves room for patience. So I think about professional athletes, and I think about their training. And a lot of times you'll hear there was a setback in his training, and he's going to be delayed a few weeks to returning to the field or to the court or whatever. And so when you think about training, there's this process. So there's patience in that. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I underline godliness for you. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So why in the world did I put that there? Well, because of this. Because when we talk about this internal transformation that, that takes place in our heart, and we begin to grow, God begins to grow us, then there's the obedience on our part. So you and I possess the tools that we need to grow. That God, according to 2 Peter here, has given us all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And so we can grow in godliness because it's not something that we're waiting for that, well, one day I'm going to be able to grow in godliness. No, you already have everything that you need to be who God wants you to be, to grow in, in sanctification, to be who God wants you to be. And so I want to talk about just a couple of those things tonight as we talk about the tools that we possess for transformation. So what are the tools? What are the things that you can leave here tonight and say, okay, I can do this? And there's just a couple things we're going to talk about tonight. So the first thing is the tools of transformation uh, are known as spiritual disciplines. Now, nobody likes the word discipline, uh, but it is a good word. There are spiritual disciplines that, that we have to, we talk about training. We are, you know, if I'm training for an athletic event, I'm disciplining my body to be prepared for that event. Okay, And so it's the same thing when we talk about spiritual disciplines, is that we are training for godliness, that we are, God is shaping, He's forming, He's molding us. And there, there are two basic categories of spiritual disciplines uh, that we'll talk about tonight. Now, we're not going to go in detail, but I'm just going to give you some overviews here. So you have the disciplines of abstinence. So here's the things that you're not going to do. You're disciplining yourself to remove these things from your life. And you have the disciplines of engagement. So these are things that you are going to do. So it's things I'm not going to do, and it's things I am going to do. So these are the two basic categories for spiritual disciplines. Now these tonight that we're going to talk about are things that you will do. These are things that you are going to do. We're not, we're not going to focus on the abstinence or the negative side. We're going to talk about the positive side tonight. So there's two basic categories. So the first, the first thing that we're going to talk about, God's part. So what's God's part in our sanctification? Well, it's the Word of God. God's part in our sanctification is that He's given us all that pertains to life and godliness. So what does 2 Timothy 3.16 says? All scripture, is given, all scripture is given by inspiration of God for reproof, for, for correction, for training in godliness. Right? That's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So God is training us. 
He's shaping us through the Word of God. So what is your tool for transformation? Well, the first one is the Word of God. Sanctify them in the truth, John 17, 17. Your Word is truth. That is why it is so imperative, it is so important for you to be a part of a group that keeps you accountable and spending time in the Word of God. D groups, discipleship groups, groups that get together and keep you on track and encourage you to following the Word of God. There is no, listen, I don't care what anybody tells you, the screen, I want you to look at the screen. There is no path to spiritual transformation apart from meaningful interaction with the Word of God. It will not happen. You are not going to grow by going to some Bethmore Bible study. You're not going to grow by going to some Priscilla Schreier Bible study or Tony Evans or Johnny Hunt, although all those people may have uh, you know, good things for us to glean from. But you have to be in the Word of God. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Bible studies are great, and I'm not saying they're not. What I am saying is they should be a supplement to your Bible study. To my Bible study, we ought to be engaged in biblical study. And so there is no path for your sanctification apart from the Word of God. You ask yourself, why am I not growing? The first question I would say is, are you in the Word of God? We have to be engaged in Bible study. And so God's part in sanctification and how God changes us is by what? By reading the Word of God and applying the Word of God. Very simple. God, what does your Word say? And this is what I'll do. That's the response of sanctification. And so through the Word of God, that's God's part in sanctification. So number two, fruits of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's part in our sanctification. So through the Word of God, God transforms us. He reveals to us His character, His nature, His intents, His desires. And then through the fruits of the Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The Bible says in Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is, or the manifestations of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, if you will, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So remember, internal transformation gives you a desire for the things of God, the places of God, the people of God. And so as God begins to change our internal desires, we begin to love people that we may not have loved before. We begin to uh, have joy in spite of circumstances that may have bothered us before. We have peace through events that may cause calamity or turmoil to those that don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. We're patient in areas that we, before meeting Christ, weren't very patient in or with. We're kind to to one another. Doesn't the Bible talk about that? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, those are, those are indicators or mile markers, again, if you will, of how God, through the Spirit of God, is transforming the internal parts of our heart. And so as the Spirit of God, these are the manifestations of the change enacted 
in our inner being. And so this is the evidence of God working in your life, the evidence of the internal transformation, the tool that God uses. And so in your life, you can ask the question, am I loving? Uh, though, you know, the Bible says in Matthew that if we only love those who love us, what good, what good is that? Do we have joy? Where does that joy come from? And so these are manifestations of the change. And so we see God's Word, that we should be uh, spending meaning, meaningful time in the Word of God, that we should uh, exhibit or manifest uh, the fruits of the Spirit. And so a barometer for the child of God is, are these evidence uh, in my life? Do I have joy? Do I have peace? Do I, do I, am I loving? Am I kind? Am I faithful? Is there self-control in my life? And, and last but not least tonight, well, then there's our part. You see, change always shows up in the way that we relate to others. See, I have a choice how I communicate with you. I have a choice how I relate to you. I can, I can act on selfish desires. I can act on selfish motivation or intentions. I can act on sinful intentions or motivations. Or I can act on uh, spiritual motivations and intentions. I can love because Christ first loved me, Right? So I can do those things. I, the change that shows up in my life is by my behavior and how I respond to all of which we've covered tonight. And so I can respond in a way that honors God. So when someone, uh, when someone says something to me or does something to me that is not of God, I have a choice in how I respond to that. So I can either, I can retaliate and I can mirror the sinfulness of, of, of what I receive, or I can respond and let God handle it, right? And so that change that is enacted in me allows me to respond in a different way. And so I can respond in a way that honors God because I know it's not me that maybe someone is railing out against or someone is responding negatively to, but it's the Lord, and so I can say, well, God, I'm going to honor you in, in spite of the circumstances in which I find myself. And so change always shows up in our life. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and I said, you know, you, you can see the change in someone's life by this. Do they love people who can't do anything for them? I mean, do you, do you give to people who have no ability to give back to you? Do you serve people who have no ability to serve you? You see, we're not doing it to get. We're doing it because Jesus commands us to do it. But we're doing it because we love Jesus and we want to honor and obey Jesus. And so in our life, change is, is how we relate. So if you've been changed, then guess what? You're going to treat people the way that Jesus treated people. The way that Jesus, when he was face-to-face -face with Nicodemus, he could have said, you know what, that's ridiculous and you're very arrogant and I'm not talking to you. But that's not what he said. Even with the rich young ruler who walked up and said, hey, I've done everything there is to do. I'm a pretty good guy, right? So Jesus could have said, you know what, I'm not talking to you. But that's not what he did. He loved those who were unlovable, which is hard to do. But the change shows up in our life when we say, well, I'm going to relate to other people the way that Jesus would relate to other people. And the whole movement back in the 90s, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, that was a pretty good question to ask is how would Jesus respond in this moment? That's how change shows up in our life. You see, for transformation to have meaning, it must seek to serve and to love others. We must seek opportunities to love like Jesus loves. We must seek opportunities to serve the way that Jesus served. You see, the Bible says in 2 Peter, rather, verse 1, 
uh, chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness uh, with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. You see, we must seek to serve and to love others. Because in John 13, 35, on your handout, the last thing you see there is that Jesus said this, By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. You see, the transformation and the change in my heart and my life, it comes out by how I treat other people. And that's the same way it will show up in your life, is the way that you serve and the way that you love other people. So I hope you got a couple tools uh, for... uh, some ammunition tonight as you begin, you continue rather the journey in which God has called us to be a part of. Uh, I'm grateful that we get to walk this journey together as I look out tonight and see all of the uh, people that I know and love and the journey of how, you know, you've helped shape me and uh, we've walked together and uh, we're continually to do it. So uh, it's just the beginning. Amen. And I can't wait to see what else is in store for us. Let's pray tonight uh, as we close our time. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for tonight. God, we're so thankful.